Hello and welcome to episode 170 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. We're on video again. Was it really only a week ago? Isn't that odd? I was thinking that too. It's it's so weird. Life is fast and slow at times, and this is one of those ones where it had no meaning time. So, yeah, it's it's weird to be back on the video chat with you all. I enjoyed our trip quite a bit, and and I'm I'm sad that we have to be back. Not we're not in the hotel room any longer. We're in the hotel room in our hearts. Yeah, I'm st- I still every night before bed I look at photos of David on the pullout couch, <laughs> cuddling with a couch cushion because we wouldn't give him any blankets or pillows. Yeah, Dave, take one for the team on the pullout couch. That was a tough one. Also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. They wouldn't give me blankets. Can you believe it? The first night I had no blankets. I just slept under a, a couch cushion. <laughs> <laughs> Hilton, Fort Worth. Get at us about that questionable service. We ha- we have some some things, some worries about our bill too that we'd like to settle up. Still, I did not order that many bar- beers at the bar. We did not super glue everything to the ceiling. Just some of the stuff on this week's show. We are breaking down a pioneer event. I don't think we've done this in like more than a year. Two pioneer events. Who authorized that? Well, I did the breakdown. I just made the executive decision. So snooze, you lose. Or win. I don't think it's such a bad idea, considering this heightened interest in the Pioneer format, thanks to the upcoming Pioneer Pro Tour, the potential regional events, which I think a lot of people are expecting to be Pioneer. It's even the Manitraders Tournament Series of the Month, which some of us are participating in. I think there's a lot of reasons to talk about Pioneer right now, and the most important reason of all is that we're kind of interested in the format, and that's our real North Star, is our own personal interests and and priorities right on uh stan just as a reminder to perhaps myself and our listeners how long do we have for the swiss portion of the mana traders the open portion of the mana traders rather so it's going on right now you can play as soon as you hear it and then it wraps up on the 26th which is oh that's late uh the tuesday after this episode drops okay so i've got okay yeah a little bit of time how many enough how many have you played uh none i've just been i've been practicing in open play the tournament, actually, tournament practice room. So I need to get myself confident enough to just to take the take the plunge. I'm just, you know, what I worry about. I worry about like uh, doing doing enough and then like going six and four or something like that. I'm going to play a bunch more games. I just want to get it done with the first time, like you always do, Stanislav. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Whenever I don't get it in ten, I just quit unless I have a ton of extra time. That makes sense. That's just take you know shoot your shot. Yeah, I'm currently. I, I currently have a 67% win rate with three matches played. <laughs> You're there. I'm, I'm, I'm only five wins to go. All right. Afterward, after the breakdown, which hopefully is going to take twice as long as this intro section, we're going to dive into our last batch of new Capenna spoilers. We're going to dissect some of our favorite cards now that the full set has been revealed and figure out whether there's really anything to like in this set. Because that was the question I was asking a lot going through the cards. Mm. turns out there's quite a few i think well that's Mm. good i'm not so sure but we'll see maybe you you two can convince me a little bit but first let's housekeep shout out to the newest patrons to join the dive down nation we got tnn n ventus verus brian n turner l and sean g thank you all for joining the nation also big ups to cora b for going up a tier in their support you love to see it 
That's an incredible amount of uh, people lending their support. We really appreciate it. I, I don't know if any of it had to do with people seeing us in person last week or the fact that we went and covered a tournament, but we appreciate it. I wonder if it has something to do with tax refunds. People got that government dole sending it our way. I'll take it. We are not a write-off. I hope people understand <laughs> that we are not a write-off. Can we become like a nonprofit charity somehow? I don't know. Look into that. Corp. You're our lawyer. Corp. So I guess I'm a little bit of everything. Yeah, but thanks all of you all for uh, joining up and getting into the Dive Down Nation. If you are so inclined, if you want to lend your support, if you want to help keep us going, help keep our editor employed, help keep uh, swag coming your way, things like uh, the deck boxes that are slowly arriving from overseas. All that kind of stuff is made possible. And in, in fact, this whole podcast is made possible from your ongoing support. I know this sounds like an NPR plug, but in fact, it pretty much is. So if you want to lend your support, a dollar a week is the, the lowest we ask of you. That gets you immediate access through Discord into the definitively discreet dive down discord community uh always entertaining always enjoyable a great group of people um i've enjoyed having some new folks from the this week's patrons show up that's been great go on over to patreon.com slash the dive down and uh we appreciate it and if you you know if if you just like us and you like other content creators there's a lot of people out there right now who are going on their own. You know, they're former SCG writers, they're your favorite uh, MTGO league grinders making content, all that kind of stuff's out there. Uh, find people you like. If you have a little bit of uh, extra cash, throw it their way, uh, and the whole community appreciates it. Yeah, and if you'd like to support the Dive Down while playing Magic, you can check out Manatraders.com. It is the card rental service that we have used for so very long on Magic Online. Currently, I am in the middle of a league with... Blue Red Murktide, the deck that I have decided I'm going to be doing in Modern these days. But if you have not tried out Mana Traders before, go for it. You can rent your Pioneer decks there. You can rent your Modern decks there. You can rent anything that you want, <laughs> especially using the code the Dive Down 2021 for 15% off your first two months of Dave. It's it's 2022. Rentals. Are you like you're like writing writing the check with the last year at, at the grocery store? It's the Dive Down. 2022, all one word. Yes, I'm still writing checks for last year, even though it's nearly May. Dave, how are you liking Merktide? I, I am enjoying it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm not doing awesome with it. I'm doing fine, but um, it's good. You know, I um, I love that there's a couple of decks that Counterspell is good and in Modern. Turns out it was a fine card, and uh, I like playing Counterspells. Proud of you. Good luck with that. All right, with all that out of the way, let's jump over to the news desk. Shane. Yes. You've got a pen in your ear. A feather in your cap, uh, smoking a candy <laughs> cigarette. I guess yeah. you're not really smoking it. You're just kind of like sucking on Chewing that sugary on tip. Stanislav, that's a that's a lick made stick. I've been dipping it in both the, the red and the purple flavors of the sugar dust. So I know it can be confused. Oh, God. You've been watching too many YouTube videos with your nephew, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, we did. I did go. So hold on. There's a funny, funny digression before we get into this. So, uh, you know, it was it was Easter Sunday. And as one does on Easter, you hang out with your family if, if you if you uh, observe or celebrate Easter. Uh, and I saw my nephew and he really wanted to go. Easter egg hunting with his friends kind of like at a park by their house. And he was so mad. He did not. He's, he's 11 years old, by the way. He was so mad. He didn't find one with money in it. 
it was very funny to me. He was just, uh, it, was a, it was a real bummer. Anyway, Did, uh, that's, my, that's my story about being, being laughing at my nephew's disappointment. Were there any with money in them? Yeah, there were, so there were three silver and one gold. Ooh, and his yeah. friends found him and he didn't? Yeah, well, other kids in the community. I don't think any of his friends found ah, any. But, rough stuff. You know, I was like, dude, you need $5. Like, you know, you, you get $5 all the time. But anyway, I, um, I don't really have any I, children, so I don't understand children's disappointment. My, I did Easter egg hunting with my kids, and they were they were sad because they uh, last year we bought pre filled Easter eggs, and so some of them had toys in them, and some of them had candy in them, and it was just kind of like a real variety pack. And this year I went and got them myself, and I just put uh, jelly beans in half of them and Reese's cups in half of them, and when they opened them all, my older son was like, "It's just candy this time." It's just, he just what, he he wanted candy money? this time. He wanted toys in them. He wanted little oh, cars yeah, and all kinds of other stuff, dinosaurs and all kinds of things like we had last year. And I was like, man, we just got you Mario. The Easter Bunny got you Mario Legos. Okay. Oh, man. Does he believe in the Easter Bunny? Does he believe in Mario? <laughs> he believes in He believes in the Easter Mario. Yes. It's a me. It's a Easter. So that's right, y'all. Uh, as Stan mentioned in the intro. Mario is a the- risen. <laughs> As Stan mentioned in the intro, uh, there's a big increase in Pioneer recently, and the uh, you know upcoming season of OP is focused on Pioneer. We thought there's and and interestingly, I saw a tweet of something like the Pioneer leagues have gone from like 280 to like 900 plus participants, which is a tremendous influx of new and returning players to Pioneer. So that's really exciting. And there's no time like now to renew our focus. You know, we talked about it on our uh, Dallas Fort Worth breakdown episode. We're playing it. We have interest in it. I think there's a newer deck that's appeared on the scene that I can't wait for Stan to talk about because it's totally up his alley. So Pioneer's back. We're talking about it. And we have two challenges for you this week. Some new decks, some returning decks for us to discuss. And let's first talk about the Saturday the 16th pioneer challenge and first i'm going to talk i'm going to talk about the metagame which is something we typically don't really do for our challenges but i want to help people wrap their heads around what's happening in the like right now i guess the highest levels of pioneer competition so you can keep your ear to the ground on what people are actually playing and what's performing well so we have five is it control decks is leading the metagame and stan Shane? this is a this is a deck that we have not talked about before but is kind of a big thing lately can you tell us about your experiences with it this is a deck that people keep mentioning in the pioneer challenge in the pioneer channel on our discord and i'm keep going can somebody send me a deck list please can somebody send me a deck list and stan is like just go look on goldfish it's one the challenge is the last two weeks and i'm like <laughs> no i'm not looking at it till it comes to me so it's finally come to me let's it's look. here david this deck is amazing the emergence of this deck could not have been timed better with our sudden renewed interest in the format because while looking for something to play in in mana traders and just to start getting myself familiar with the metagame i saw this deck suddenly doing really well and as shane put it it's like the ultimate stand is it control pioneer deck it's a thing in the ice deck but it's also a narset days undoing deck and mm. that that's it <laughs> No Apparently they're not all days undoing because if you look at the first place list from this challenge, not days undoing. Zero in the seventy-five. Oh man, collective defiance as a four of man, sign me up. Oh, guess what? 
Collective Defiance does the same thing that Days Undoing does, but you can escalate it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. All right, so l- let's read both of these cards. That's I'll- a lot cheaper than Days Undoing. <laughs> I'll, start, I'll start with Collective Defiance. One red, red, sorcery, escalate one, which means this pay this cost for each mode chosen beyond the first. Choose one or more. Target player discards all the cards in their hand, then draws them any cards. Collective Defiance deals four damage to target creature. Collective Defiance deals three damage to target opponent. So the difference between this and Days Undoing is that Days Undoing is two and a blue for a sorcery, and it's each player shuffles their hand and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards. And the idea with Narset is that you get a one-sided effect. So if Narset's on the board, you play the Days Undoing, your opponent has to discard all their cards, they draw one because it's a sorcery, you go back up to seven, and then you're just shortcutted to crazy card advantage. And oftentimes you can sort of win from there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that this is suddenly big in Pioneer because we were just talking about this deck somehow being a thing in Legacy. And now here it is here, and it's just the middle format between the two of them where it hasn't quite made a splash yet, or for real. Um, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Collective Defiance is a, a little bit of a surprise for me just because it is... I mean, can you choose the same mode twice and then target different players with it? Like, can you choose target player discards all the cards draws that many cards for you and your opponent if you escalate it? No. I don't think so. No. Yeah, you can only choose you can only choose them separately. So this is just playing I mean, look, we don't have to go deep on this deck right here, but it is interesting that most of the lists I have seen of this deck before now have Days Undoing. And this one said, you know what? Days Undoing isn't always good. And sometimes what you really want instead is a removal spell or to burn your opponent or something a little extra out of the card slot. And I think that what they're doing here is basically saying, I just want to play my Days Undo. I'm generating enough card advantage already that I can just play my Days Undoing Collected Defiance effect really more like a mind twist than anything else. I get Narset out, I make my opponent discard their whole hand, and maybe I get to nug one of their creatures at the same time, and then I move on my merry way. Um, Interesting different way to go with it and it seemed to work for this player this player's name is sarlanga who came in first place in the 416 challenge oh man spoiling my top eight david sorry but you know just thought it was worth mentioning can we talk about what else is in this deck for a real quick yeah that's, second? that's that's the important thing how is this deck actually playing and winning and things like that stand so like i said this is the thing in the ice deck and best case scenario is you cast thing on two and then you're just playing cantrips and some removal spells to eventually flip it and wipe the board which i found to be pretty important because the actual removal spells in the format can sometimes leave a little to be desired you know you're playing stuff like flame blessed bolt which is magma spray that hits walkers or fiery impulse which is deal two to target creature but you can deal three if you have spell mastery so sometimes you know if you're playing as a creature that has four toughness you're kind of in trouble unless you have collective defiance so there's one point for Defiance. Um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting control deck because it's it's not quite draw-go and it's not really counterspell-based. The only counterspells you have are in, in the sideboard and they're typically just negates and or mystical disputes. But you play Thing in the Ice on two, you play a bunch of cantrips, a little bit of removal spells. Eventually, you flip it, wipe the board, and start swinging with Awoken Horror, which is a 7-8. 
It also looks like there's a Div Mizzet Perun in a lot of these lists. There's like a couple of, and it's what a triple blue, triple red, five five flying that can't be countered, and it just effectively can end the game like most six drops in any format can can do. Yeah, yeah. That whenever you get a Perun on the on the board, that tends to pair really well with either your Collective Defiance or Days Undoing because you're you're drawing seven plus you get the trigger off the instant, so you're hitting your opponent for eight and drawing eight cards and that's that's usually pretty good yeah i found and then it also like if your opponent has to play a spell a removal spell to target nif that's another card for you and another point of damage yeah yeah i don't and know then- deck is deck is really great niv niv mizzet is sort of whatever it's really just kind of like the best thing in the ice deck i've played in a long time in a control shell that's not a phoenix deck yeah, and then the final card that this plays, of course, is Treasure Cruise, an expressive iteration. So you get your massive card advantage engines going on, but boy, Treasure Cruise, good card. Glad to see it winning. I've already been seeing conversation from people where it's like, this deck still seems unoptimized. Like, why are we still running Treasure Cruise when we have the quite possibly better uh, dig, dig Through Time available to us? Like, So I wouldn't be surprised if a deck like this does want Dig. Uh, because you want to get to a win con at some point, I imagine. So it's like, you know, drawing cards is great, but I'd rather have some card selection later in the game, I imagine. And dig through time just rules. Anyway, thank you, Stan. I think this this deck is clearly popular. We'll we'll talk about it more in yeah, the next I'll, challenge. I'll, I'll just say that this is the deck that I've been playing in Mana Traders. I did a league with it too. Snapped off a pretty quick 4-1 with the league, and now I'm... I'm two and one in, in managers with it. I've been having a lot of fun. And I think if you like, is it control decks? I find this a little bit more enjoyable than Phoenix just because it's not really a turbo Xerox deck. It's actually a little bit more choice decision based. My man's back. Next up, we have four copies of Azorius control and we have four copies of mono green ramp. And this is a deck that we were talking about two years ago and it's been making waves again in a pretty big way. Uh, it's it works similarly to the old versions of the deck, where it has you know the four, excuse me, the eight mana elves, the four wolf of Haven, four oath of Nyssa. Now that it's unbanned, uh, for filtering through your deck and adding devotion, you make a bunch of mana with Nykthos. You can make a bunch of mana with Nyssa, who shakes the world. Do cool things with Karn the Great Creator, Wishboard, all that kind of stuff. But this deck is built surprisingly differently to me uh, than it was ev- uh, a few years ago. And you know, there's not even a full playset of Nyssa, who shakes a world, which seems wild to me. Uh, there's three Kiora Behemoth Beckoner, which can untap Nykthos with her minus. And she comes in for three mana and has seven loyalty. And she minuses for one, so she can untap quite a few times and is tough to kill. Uh, she also provides additional card advantage. When you cast a creature with four or more power, you then draw a card off her. So that's a nice little value engine there. Old Growth Troll is your three drop of choice. We talked about this card, I think, even during spoiler season. I'm sure we talked about this card because it does a lot. It's just, I mean, the the hard part, the hard thing about this card, if you haven't played standard, uh, you're probably wondering, like, well, what deck does it go into? Like, there's not a lot of great mono green decks in a lot of formats besides... This one, it's a 4-4 body with Trample, gives you three devotion, and then when it dies, it can it then like becomes an enchantment on your land, which prov- continues to provide devotion, continues to ramp your mana, and then when you want to, you pay like a pittance. What is it, like one 
one mana. One tap, get, sacrifice this land. Yeah, you sacrifice the land and get a 4-4 four, four back from that so good. Uh, when you need it. So it's a huge value piece for three mana. Cavalier of Thorns is your you know five, it's two green, green, green for a five, six with a reach. Gets you another land probably. Can put an important card in your graveyard. And that is another new addition in Storm the Festival. And this is, I think, perhaps one of the big important pieces of how this deck is functioning now. And Storm of the Festival is a three green, green, green sorcery, so a six mana value. And it lets you look at the top five cards of your library. You may put up to two permanent cards with mana value five or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. It also has flashback for seven green, green, green. So you can flash it back, you know, blah, blah, blah. So this is giant cocoa with flashback. Uh, the deck can make this amount of mana. This is a great way to use that mana. And the way this deck is really functioning right now, I, I watched Todd play a couple leagues with it on uh, Twitch on a stream the other day. And it just takes over the long game. Like any mid-range grinding matchup, even control matchups, because you have a lot of ways to come back from sweepers, you just take over the board with huge things. The two permanents that you put on the battlefield, can they each be mana value five, or do they have yeah, to total? It's, no, it's just it's basically five or, five or less mana value. So yeah, just you get two huge honkers. Wow, honk honk. All your permanents are five or less, though. So yeah, exactly. Sure. Sure. I, I, I just meant like, can you actually play two, yeah, four drops? Yeah, it doesn't have to be like two and three. It doesn't have to be like two and three total mana. It doesn't have to be, yeah, it's, it's anything like that's one five or four. less. Yeah, that works too. So yeah, it's a really strong card, especially late game when you can flash it back. It does work great off of, you can, you know, you can put it into your graveyard off of Cavalier if you want, that kind of stuff. So the deck is performing really well and four players brought it to this uh, challenge. Four Rakdos midrange. You've heard me talk about that recently. Three Winota decks, uh, known entity there. Two Rakdos sack decks and a bunch of one-ofs that I'm not going to get into. So our top eight, which Dave spoiled. Uh, first place, Sarlanga on Is It Control. Seventh, excuse me, second place is Seventh Prophet on Mono White Devotion featuring Yorian. So another diversion here. We got a whole lot of stuff going on, as you might expect with 80 cards in the main deck. There's just you know a lot of white pips. There's four Car and the Great Creators. There's four Wandering Emperor, four March of Otherworldly Light, Portable Hole, Book of Exalted Deeds, so on and so on. There's, and I think an interesting part thing I noticed about this deck is that there are a few cards that will tutor up legendary cards or uh, you know, snow permanent or sagas like think like there's a couple search for glory there are two thalia's lancers which uh, allow you to tutor up a legendary card and then you put it in your hand etc so it lets you get needed pieces like it lets you get a karn it lets you get a wandering emperor it lets you get an emrakul yeah i think the the big thing that this deck is doing though is it's trying to be a control list that tutors up Book of the Exalted Deeds when you have a creature land in play so that you can lock your opponent out of winning the game, right? Like, that's essentially how that works, right? Nobody is playing creature removal. You put a token onto Mutavault with Book of the Exalted Deeds. Then when it turns back to being a, a land and not a creature anymore, it still says you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game, and that's it. 
right? Oh, wow. So if you never activate it again, yes. then yeah, they have no... Unless they have like Field of Ruin or something like that. Right, which I don't think people are playing much right now, but this was a deck that was floating around in in Standard on Arena, I know, at different points in time. And this, this is a huge value engine to be able to do the same thing. And plus, you know, you have your alternate win cons, like you said, with Karn and Wandering Emperor. So you just have a good devotion game plan. But getting that devotion up super high with Nykthos then lets you like be able to dump all your mana in one turn into making book happen, essentially. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think the only real... I mean, it's a popular deck. Azorius Control usually runs a few Field of Ruins. I wouldn't be surprised if, if this deck ticks up in popularity, which I it's not super popular right now, but that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting strategy. It has a lot of powerful cards, a lot of ways to get those cards, and so on. Third place, Seminator 777 on Rakdos Sack. Fourth place, Wurzo Busex on Is It Control? Fifth place BLJ on Rakdos mid. This is a slightly different variant. Uh, they have two Voldaren Epicure, only two Graveyard Trespasser, which seems like, to me, like a cardinal sin against Rakdos mid, but they know something I don't, probably. And there's two Bloodhall Priest and no Planeswalkers, which also seems like a lot to me. And Bloodhall Priest is a two black, red, it's four mana value. Whenever it ETBs or attacks, if you if you have no cards in hand, it deals two damage to any target. Uh, it also has madness, so I don't know if there's any way for you to discard this card, but you can cast it for three mana, I believe. Well, there's a bunch of ways to discard when you have blood tokens, which you get from Voldemort oh, yes, Epicure yeah. and Blood Tithe Harvester both. And, and Fable of the Mirror Breaker as well. Exactly. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So you can get it out there for three mana, which is fun. But uh, not having Chandra 4 is, is, is interesting to me, but they clearly were successful. Sixth place, Hirotsukai on Mono Blue Spirits. So I don't know if you guys have noticed this. People are talking about a lot that this player is all like basically... Oh Not exactly, gosh. but practically the only person who's been successful at this deck. <laughs> <laughs> this record on Goldfish, good lord. Yeah, if you go to their Goldfish profile, page one of their resume, it's just Mono Blue Spirits wins in Pioneer, dating back all the way till January. But they've been playing for a long time. Like Their earliest results go back to 2019, across different formats. Just worth noting that this deck has gotten a lot of attention because it keeps popping up at the top of the metagame in these challenge results and, and elsewhere. And 99% of the time, it's just this one player, Hiro Tsukai. Pretty they know what they're doing. Yeah. They're, they're the Dr. Cats of Pioneer Spirits. That's too bad. I love this. I love the way this deck looks, of course, after playing this a good amount in Historic at different points in time. But, um, I mean, Geislate Snare. Just it's uh what's what's our what's our word for the mana leak with spirits spooky leak yeah mana buik <laughs> I mean Dave you should you should try it just to see what it is about this deck that other people tend to struggle with but hero may have tapped into because I agree it looks really fun it looks like maybe the format's only tempo deck mm-hmm. I'm sure that I'm the person who's up to the task of figuring out what this deck master is doing that yeah, nobody else yeah. who's trying is doing. I'm, I'm going to add that to my else. list, um, to my Trello board for, for on, our, on the dive down instance right now to make sure Dave solve mono blue spirits as good as Hirotsukai. Stan, can you assign that task to Dave, please? Yep. I'm on it. Dang. You should see an email shortly. Due date is tomorrow morning. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. I got to go. I got to put together a deck. Seventh place, Vic Sauce. 
a uh, name you might have heard, on Mono Green Devotion. Uh, this version has a main single main deck Sylvan carry added to ensure your ramp sticks around and can pretty much block two power aggro creatures all day. Like unless it's a prowess one and you know or maybe that's worth it sometimes. But Sylvan carry added a good way to avoid uh, all the removal in the format right now, or at least the, the, the targeted removal. Eighth place, Cure Kanata on Azorius Control. So there's Saturday. Took us a while. We'll have less diversions on Sunday's challenge. We can't promise that, Shane. You know better. You're right. Here's our metagame. People noticed on Saturday there was a new deck in town. There were eight players on Is It Control. If you're counting, that's a quarter of the metagame. Uh, four players on Rakdos mid, three is a Phoenix, three Lotus Field. You notice I didn't even say those decks uh, last time. Two Rakdos Sack, two Jund Sack, which is surprisingly different to Rakdos. It, it generates value similarly to the historic version. It's got, of course, Cat Oven, Gilded Goose, Deadly Dispute, Trail of Crumbs, the full playset of the now $60 plus card, Meat Hook Massacre. This one, interestingly, does not run Mayhem Devil, which seems surprising to me. And it has more removal in the form of uh, full playsets of uh, Fatal Push and I think three Assassin's Trophy. But what it does run is a couple Corvold for the flying finisher, of course, takes advantage of uh, sacrificing things, gets more value out of your sacrificing, and finishes in the air. And then a bunch of one-ofs. Well, actually, in this one, not even that many one-ofs, because there's so many of Is It Control in these other decks. So, Shane, yes. looks like the top eight was a little bit different, including the deck that won this time. So what's, uh, what won this challenge? Tunak Tunak on Azorius Control. It's back. You cannot keep potentially the best deck in the format down for long. Uh, I didn't see anything particularly novel about this list, but... So as someone who has not been paying a ton of attention to Pioneer, and you two have been, is Azorius Control generally a Yorian deck, even when it's Control? Because this that's one thing about this particular list that stood out to me right away. Mm. Stan? I, not really, no. Um, from exploring the format, it's it's frequently not. Maybe that's just the newest iteration on the strategy, but I was listening to the Faithless Brewing Pioneer Crash Course a couple weeks ago, and they did talk about how this is sometimes a Yorion deck, but I would not. I don't think it's the norm per se. Yeah, you just you don't get a ton of value out of the blink here. Like potentially the portable hole. Of course, you do get the Omen of the Sea if you want to. I think part of it might just be I want to run a lot of great cards, and a lot of them are interchangeable <laughs> in some way. So, and I just want the value of Yorion, where it's like I want that four or five finisher. Uh, on demand from my sideboard, and I'll take a little bit of blinky value. Maybe I can reset my Narset, uh, things like that. But yeah, that's largely that's, that's the big thing is that you're going to reset great planeswalkers, Narset, Wandering Emperor, and Teferi. Right on. So Tunak Tunak, first place is Zorius Control. Second place, Bullwinkle 6705 on Lotus Field combo, I guess. Uh, the Butter Merchant, third place on Is It Control? BCS 8995 on Mono Green Devotion. They took the cue from McWinsauce, went up to two Sylvian Carry added for some more additional ramp creatures. Fifth place, Matthews 1993 on Winota. Sixth place, the OTB on Mono White Mostly Humans. This is not the Devotion deck. It's just kind of an ag aggressive-looking humans deck. 
Seventh place, Sick Boy 138 on Rakdos Sack. Interestingly, I'm starting to see more of these lists just not using the Meat Hook Massacre at all. It's uh, maybe just Yangatha is worth it as a companion, or it's like, hey, we don't need Meat Hook, but I do need Yangatha. I don't know. So when I was watching uh, Everett play some Pioneer a couple weeks ago, uh, he was actually saying that he also didn't like Meat Hook Massacre in this deck. And I think it's just because it felt like you didn't really need the sweep ability and there were just better things to be doing with your mana other than using that two mana to set up a blood artist essentially, right? Doesn't, isn't the second half of Meat Hook Mass- Massacre close to a blood artist text? Yeah, that's the yeah, blood artist stuff. Yeah, and so I I think that it's you know it's interesting that there are other people picking it up. I don't know if it's got to do with Jengatha or if there's just other cards they'd rather run main deck and then they get to run Jengatha Jengatha uh, because they don't have the double black pip anymore. But exactly now, Stan Shane is about to say the eighth place deck here, and it's another mono blue spirits list in the top eight, and it's not piloted by the same person as the other one. Are were you wrong this whole two minutes since your last assertion, or how do you feel about that? I believe we call this the exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I think we call I, it law of big numbers. I, you know, it. I chose my words very carefully where I said ninety percent of the time <laughs> it's hero, and yeah. this is the other ten percent. Nothing else to say about this particular list that's not going in the top eight because it's exactly the same as the one from the other. But the only thing I would say is I did not notice how incredibly cheap this deck is compared to all the other decks that are in this oh top gosh, eight. Yeah, like ninety it is, bucks. It's eighty-seven dollars <laughs> in paper, sixty-five tickets on Moto. That is easily you know a third of the cost of all the other decks that are in this top eight, with the exception of the white list that uh, Shane was talking about. If you want a budget deck list for Pioneer seems like a good place to start yeah and if, if you did not need to play ascendant spirit you could just run basic islands it would be like uh 70 bucks instead of snow coverage well the snow coverage they have in goldfish is a dollar a piece okay yeah, yeah. so it, you can probably get a little bit cheaper but maybe not yeah i mean most people probably have 19 snow cover islands somewhere so i let's say this deck <laughs> is 70 bucks yeah but none of them have good art that's the problem like i i don't have any snow covered islands i actually want to play yeah I mean, the, the Hermonic Horizons ones are okay. Yeah, they're all good. I will definitely try this this deck out just because, wow, that is so cheap. All right. Overall thoughts here. I have some. I'm curious to hear yours. I think Is It Control is clearly the new deck to be paying attention to and have a plan for. Uh, it's perhaps the new deck to beat, at least in these Pioneer challenges. Stan, how do you think people should approach playing against this deck? Like, What do you not want to see? Um, I really don't like seeing creatures with three and four toughness. Um, it, for that reason, like sometimes mono green and Winota can be a real issue because unless you get spell mastery online, like oftentimes your burn spells are just dealing two, and you really then need to get a thing in the ice down. What's your? You think that that new three mana single red burn spell is going to slot right into this? I, I think at least it, in the sideboard. Yeah, you know, I think it might. That's definitely one of the the cards I was looking at from the set that that might reinvigorate this. But you know, also worth noting, like I think new standard sets have a bigger impact on Pioneer than other non rotating formats. And for all we know, like in three four weeks, is the control will no longer be as popular as it is right now. Great point. I do, I do think it's interesting you bring up Winota because that might provide a little bit of an explanation why that one list that we looked at of blue red has um, has collective defiance instead of days undoing. It's just because of the like you pointed out when we were talking about it. 
but Winota might be the specific card that they were trying to improve their matchup against with that particular deck by playing Collective Defiance over Days Undoing. I think Mono Green looks like it's back. I think this is a deck that's tunable for shifting metas. One with the Wishboard, and two, I think just with some main deck construction choices. You know, I've already seen some of these Mono Green decks teching against themselves. Where they're or against Winota because she has green pips, so you can run something like Hunt the Hunter. You can make your green creatures bigger than their green creatures and clear them off the board, things like that. I think the Rakdos decks, both mid and sack, seem like they're still being refined. I think these lists are surprisingly different uh, from week over week, and I think people still haven't really figured out the, the proper way to build these or if there is a proper way to build these decks. Yeah, I, w- I will say just through the lens of is it again, one of the things that I like about Rakdos is that Fatal Push and Dreadbore and, and even Blood Chief's Thirst provide really clean answers to some of the best cards in the is it control deck. So in addition to having big bodies, I think Rakdos might be in a pretty good position to, to deal with some of the stuff that is it is doing as well. Yeah, one of the things I've started doing when I'm playing the Rakdos midrange deck is, especially against something like uh, is it Phoenix, which will frequently just sort of board into a control deck and have things like Sweltering Suns or have things like Anger of the Gods where they're just trying to out-attrition me is just let that uh, Graveyard Trespasser flip into the Graveyard Glutton because it becomes a 4-4, no longer can be swept away with those kind of things. I think looking for opportunities to get those big bodies down, something like a Kalitas and uh, you know, graveyard glutton or things you're you're going to need to fight through those attritiony control matchups where they're looking to spot remove or, or use their red sweepers that are damage based. And speaking of, is it Phoenix? I think that that seems like it's de- declining a little bit in popularity. Maybe as is it, is it control seems to rise up, people are saying, "Hey, I can I can have the part I really want." <laughs> of is it phoenix which is the control end of things and just be a thing in the ice control deck because stan you seem like you're really uh, liking that and you're a classic is it phoenix lover in multiple formats that's who i am and that's who i'm always going to be i think it was interesting that mono red was essentially nowhere in these challenges but then in the prelim on friday there were two four o's and a three one in the the prelim then so it's clearly got some kind of chops but i think the the challengers didn't seem like they cared about it enough perhaps yeah i noticed that as well and i feel like there's a little bit of divisiveness among players with and against this deck and i've just noticed more and more players say that monorad just isn't actually that good it's just really popular and i wonder if in some of these cases where we see a mono red list do well is when it just had to fight through a bunch of mirror matches and then inevitably climb to the top that way. Yeah, I haven't put this deck through its paces enough to have a real proper evaluation, but if you throw enough aggressive red decks at something, you're going to see some bubble to the top from time to time. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's telling that one of the players that I have seen do well with Mono Red is Sandy Dog MTG. And as we all know, Sandy Dog is, is, a, is a red expert. So if you give them a ham sandwich shaped like a fireball, they're going to do fine with it. And it'll taste good to boot. That's a spicy ham ball. So... Dave, you said you, you've been playing that much Pioneer lately. I've been dipping my toes back in when I can to get some Rakdos mid-range uh, games in. How are you feeling about the format overall, Stan? You've been playing more than me even, I think, right now. 
And what are you feeling about kind of the way the games are playing out and how you're enjoying those? I think if I didn't have as a control, I wouldn't like it as much. And it's just, I'm very fortunate that I found something that kind of spoke to me. You were even playing it as a control brew in Historic for a while, right? Weren't you Weren't you kind of messing around with that? Did you take as a yeah, control yeah, to, to Mythic that. at one point on your own or something I, like that? I did, yeah. I mean, it's there, there's something about is a control that scratches a niche that Phoenix doesn't. Just because I think I'm tired of the Phoenix angle. And <gasps> in, in, in Pioneer especially, like the fact that I don't have access to Faithless and or Manamorphose makes it less interesting for me just because those are two cards that I loved playing in, in the modern version once upon a time. So I will say though that the format is not bad and I don't feel like I have to slog through a bunch of the same matchups over and over. Sometimes it can be a little tilting when, you know, your opponent just has like the perfect cards that run away with the game. But even so I find that it's pretty decision heavy and the average deck kind of leans a little bit more mid-range. Um, even, you know, even though there are really strong combo strategies and strong control strategies, like I just don't feel like it's the modern drag race that we're used to over there. Yeah, um, somehow I like that. To me, it still does feel, I identify with what you're saying, Stan. It still feels like me very much like somehow it's still a battlefield format. Like there are so many games that I play, and in, in part of it's because of the deck that I'm playing, which is a mid-range deck, which is just like who can get the most value out of their cards, who can get just enough value on the battlefield to chip in enough damage and whittle the opponent down. And like you said, it's 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 very seldom running away with anything. It's about when when and what did you choose to remove how smart was your opponent at holding back certain things and then taking advantage of casting two three four spells a turn uh, yeah I, I think that's really astute and my suspicion is that the reason that battlefields matter as much as they do is because you just don't have as much good removal you know you don't have unholy heat you don't have prismatic ending you don't have lightning bolts either so you're really relying on making your bad removal spells as efficient as possible. Yeah, black removal is a thing still in Pioneer, which I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, you definitely get a leg up from playing black removal or March of Otherworldly Light, I think. And yeah, March, I think is, th- March is playable, Portable Hole is playable. I mean, all the cards that I, like, you know, Portable Hole, which I was pretty high on until Prismatic ending, you know, the p- Portable Hole is what we've got, and people are using it to, to good power, I think. Yeah, and, and I think this probably speaks to why Thing in the Ice has been such an enduring threat in the format forever. Like even before we more or less stopped focusing on it, is it Phoenix with Thing in the Ice was a, a present deck, and I think part of that is just because Awoken Horror wiping the board is one of the best things you can do in those colors to actually manage the battlefield in a in a good way. So if if you like if you like more mid rangey matchups, I, I think there's something to Pioneer in that regard. Oh, hundred percent. Like if if you want to if you want a battlefield grind fest, enjoy it. Well, we spent enough time, I think, on Pioneer. Uh, we, we will definitely Are we get Dave to play. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got to eventually. He's got to eventually. I mean, we can also, like I said, stand with the Pioneer boys now. So <laughs> Dave can just be modern man. Well, only until I qualify for regionals, and then and then I'm back to playing. Then you're back. Yeah. I mean, then you're just going to be back to playing Merktide with me again, or we'll see what happens from here. I mean, like you said, Stan, 
there's new cards coming coming into this set that could or into this format that could really add something, you know, since Pioneer is a bit smaller format. It's very powerful, but there's still a lot of chance to be disrupted by new sets. So why don't we get out of here and go have a look at the final round of what we think about cards coming from New Capenna. Hey guys, quick question. Yes, Dan. How's my my mustache look? Oh, perfect. You think? Can I just say it's a perfect mustache? And you have a good face for a mustache. I have a bad face for a mustache, I think. But I think it, it's really working for you. Yeah, it's actually is that is that new? I've have you done the mustache before? It seems so natural. Yeah, you know, I I sometimes will do a mustache. It was Easter. I was seeing family on Saturday, Easter Eve. We went down to central Illinois to see a grandma. And I figured, look, I got to look my best. I'm going to lather my face, shave up, line up my stash, and show everyone that I'm here to mingle. <laughs> got yeah, the Flanders. And we're all extremely familiar with the traditional Easter mustache that has yes. long been handed down as a tradition. It's in a me, the, United the States. Easter mustache. Right. And, and if you open an egg with a mustache in it, that means you have to have the mustache next year. That's right. <laughs> it's like the baby and the king cake. That was the joke, Shane. Oh, okay. Got it. Anyway, um, I've really been enjoying my Bear Street Man stuff. You know, I got back from our, our, surprisingly short trip and i was immediately like oh man i get to shave again and i got to, have either of you got any of the pasta flora stuff from will over at barrister man because i gotta say that might be my favorite which is saying something because like i just, I just love i look forward to using the pasta flora it's a limited edition one it's one of those like seasonals that they put out over at barrister man i am seriously just gonna buy another one <laughs> before it uh, gets out of style. I don't want to wait for it to come back because if I don't have it and I want to smell it, I'm going to be bummed. Uh, so you can pick that one up if you have not yet, my friends. And, you know, largely, I just, I just like the stuff. I know that you guys have been, when we were talking to Will, you you burned through that Castile soap. Oh, yeah. I've, I'm showering more often than ever before. <laughs> Eight times a day. I just love that Castile soap. So bar. Now I did hear that we have another care package on the way. So I'm looking forward to whatever new products we're going to have to share there. But as you know, I'm a Seville man. I use the beard oil. I use the soap. I have been using the uh, balm as well a little bit. You bombing, bro? I'm bombing some. I'm the bomber of Seville. <laughs> anyway, if you are interested in... Uh, not just guy stuff. It's you know there's a lot of shaving soaps and balms and things like that, but there's also body soaps, hand soaps, uh, fragrances uh, that are for any gender out there. And you can go to Barrister and Man M A double N. Use coupon code the Dive Down twenty twenty two for fifteen percent off your first order. We appreciate you helping us out by by using that, and I'm sure Will, citizen of the nation, Will does as well. Yes, and thank you to everyone who's been using our code thus far. We appreciate it, and above all else, Barrister and Man appreciates your business. Right. So recently, last couple of days, we were gifted with something from the lovely borough of New Capenna. We finally got the full set spoiler for the most recent set coming out in the next couple of weeks. 
and we had a chance to look through and pick out cards that we thought would be uh, interesting and possibly make an impact in the formats that we cover here on the Dive Down. Now, Dave, I don't know if you realize what you just did, but you just invited a bunch of hate mail. Nuka Pena is the city. It has boroughs, but Nuka Pena is not a borough. It has, it's like Brooklyn, Queens. Are you sure about that? Yes, I'm you sure, sure about that. I was Are in you a, sure there is I was on a ca- press conference where they went through the geography. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. It's this. It's the city. It's the metropolis. And I don't know, Brokersville or the. That's yeah, my ab- favorite ab- part of Disney World. Yeah, or the Absconce or whatever. That's where where the Obscura live. Um, we won't we won't slag, slag off their uh, boroughs anymore. But we got some cards to talk about. You know. We are have been trying different ways to do spoiler episodes. This time, what we're going to do is we are going to organize them by format or the format that we think that they will have the most impact in or the most interesting fit for. We might talk a little bit around that, but you can, if you want to go through, look at the notes and see the different formats that you care about. We'll talk about all of modern in one block. We'll talk about all of pioneer in one block, then historic, then what we call honorable mentions, which are just cards that we think are cool, but we're not sure where they actually fit. So with that in mind, let's dive into cards that we think are going to have an impact from New Capenna in Modern. And I think we have one that a lot of people have been talking about first, and that card is Luxier Giada's Gift. And I love her restaurant in Vegas. Giada's? Yeah, it's So good. good. Yes, great. A lot, of, a lot of jokes, a lot of good memes going on about Giada with this one. But it is a single mana legendary artifact equipment, and it says equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each counter on it. Equipped permanent isn't a planeswalker and is a creature in addition to other types. What? And then it says equip a planeswalker, one colorless, equip three. So this card is weird. You can equip it to a planeswalker to turn it into a creature that will then become get a plus one plus one for each counter on it so if you make a giant planeswalker and equip it it becomes a you know has power equal to the number of loyalty counters on it Mm. if you equip it to a creature you can do some other crazy stuff and so you know there's been a ton of digital ink spilled about this particular card in particular dan from faithless brewing put together an epic twitter thread last week chronicling all the different possibilities to brew around when this card was spoiled last With week graphics originally. even man effort yeah. effort yeah. post here yeah and, and a nice photo of the barefoot contessa that is not the barefoot contessa giada that's giada de Laurentiis. that is not the barefoot contessa those are different people oh good you should not be <laughs> you should not be barefoot in the kitchen it is it is a danger to your toes there are entire subreddits about giada being barefoot it's not the same people <laughs> anyway um, so this card, there's basically two two things going on with it. There's the fact that it gives plus one, plus one per counter on a creature. And then there's this thing that it does, the weird thing that it does where it equips the Planeswalkers. Okay, so the big thing that happens with the plus one, plus one for each creature counter on it is it allows some certain combo engines, let's say, to become... Uh, even better and generate infinite mana specifically what we're talking about right now is a shell that most modern players are familiar with the devoted druid combo that originally got really big when vizier of remedies was printed in Amonkhet. and essentially as dan noted in his thread as well uh luxier becomes a backup a backup vizier of remedies and one that happens to be searchable 
by Urza's Saga and Stoneforge Mystic as well. So a lot of people are hypothesizing that we're going to end up with a Stoneforge Mystic, you know, kind of like the Hammer Shell almost, but with Devoted Druid as part of it instead, with Luxier as part of it instead. You can also go and get Viridian Longbow with both of those both of those searches as well to be able to turn the infinite mana into an infinite amount of damage and just go to town from there. For sure. So that's a cool way. What's the lame way? Well, that's a cool way. The other, the other thing that he can do is that since it equips to a Planeswalker, which is really a wild thing, you know, yeah. Dan and uh, so actually some people in our Discord were toying around with the same idea around the same time that Dan's thread came out. You can equip it to known Planeswalker troublemaker Sahili Rai and then use Sahili's minus ability to create infinite Sahili's because... When you make a copy, when you turn Sahili into a creature, she can then copy herself. The copy is an artifact, so then the copy can copy itself, and then you just make infinite Sahili's and just kind of go from there. And then what you do is you kill, you mill someone by having alter the brood or something like that in yeah. play as well. Which also so, was only one mana. Right. Correct. So you have all these different aspects of it where you can have a creature kill that involves mill. I think that there is a chance that Luxier is good enough for value in a deck that maybe has Stoneforge and some Planeswalkers and maybe some other things, or maybe just a Planeswalker control deck that just runs Luxier. Um, but the real thing I think as modern goes is this idea of using it in a searchable shell because of Urza Saga and Stoneforge, specifically with Druid. Yeah. I honestly think that's the only thing making this card interesting at all. Like, I just don't, I don't think there's enough there for me to want to be like, oh man, I, I can't wait to make my Gideon uh eight eight or something like that. I, I really can't wait to make my three mana Kiora into like a seven seven because I swap slap the sword onto it. I think I think those kind of things I, I think we know that equipment has to use, do something really darn good or nearly broken. And I'm not sure this is quite there unless it's in a combo shell. And I, I think that because it's because it's modern, because we have Urza Saga, because it's tutorable when you when you can use it, you can get it. When you can't use it, you can get something else rather than just like draw it off the top. Like I think that it the the druid combo is always kind of lurking around, and I think making this have more pieces to do comboy things is good. But you still are relying on devoted druid surviving. That's not always a guarantee. Uh, I think the altar of the brood and Giada combo is pretty cool. Excuse me, the Giada sword combo being cool. They're both one mana. And so that makes me think that that has potential in modern as well, because Sahili can play the controlling game in a is it shell or something like that, and then eventually get to a, a, the place where they can just pretty easily combo off, and they have redundancy with the Felidar Guardian combo and things like that. So I, I think it's I think I think unless the combo is tutorable and really clean and powerful. I don't think this is going to be like some standard or pioneer or historic combo, mainly because we don't have Saga. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there's a chance that in these decks that ha start to run Luxier, you run Planeswalkers as a control, controlling aspect of your deck, right? And then you're like, okay, well, I don't have my kill piece with it, but I do have a Planeswalker and I do have Luxier. I got all my other good... Uh, 
saga targets. So I'm just going to go get this sword and I'm going to make my planeswalker attack and try to kill. Like, I think there will be moments where that comes up, but yeah, I don't know if people are just going to run it for value. I just think it's going to be, you know, sometimes you want shadow spear. Sometimes you want Luxier. Sometimes you're out of options, but you have a saga trigger going off. So you just got to take what you can get and just go for it. So, um, but I think this card is clearly pretty powerful and it will be tried pretty heavily i think for a while right quick question before we probably move on do you think this was a an oversight where it's the it gets plus one plus one per counter on a creature and or do you think it's sort of a a, a it's a it's a bug not a feature like where this where they were planning on it working kind of like uh instead of surveilling creeping chill it just worked with dredge or something like that I don't know if I even understand the question. <laughs> well, we're, he's, gonna... he's saying, do we think the fact that it negates minus one, minus one counters is, a, is an oversight on their part, and they should have written some other language there, like it like gets plus one, counter. plus one for each loyalty counter yes, or exactly, something instead? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think it's designed to work within the set, more than anything, and the set has like different types of counters. Being oh, counters. yes, good There's, point. Like, shield yeah. counters and other things, and uh, like menace I, counters. Are yeah, I think it brings back the stuff, Elop you know. counters too. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's really yeah. So they probably what work. they're designing it for. It's mostly like who cares if it works if it's if it's too good. People can use removal and <laughs> kill devoted yeah. druid. You know, I, I suspect someone in R and D probably had the wherewithal to identify that this perhaps like if sure. not specifically devoted druid works with some other enablers in constructed formats but i i feel like this is the design territory that is good for the format because creature combo strategies really struggle in a universe where removal is so cheap and so efficient right now that giving them new tools to like find other outs be a little bit more redundant or have other kill conditions i think is probably good for certain combo decks that may have been struggling otherwise right on let's go on Next card. Shane, do you want to read this one? Sure. Endless Detour. It is green, white, and blue. I believe that is Bant. Uh, instant. Um, it's Brokers. Brokers, yes. <laughs> so the owner of the owner of Target Spell, non-land permanent, or card in a graveyard, puts it on the top or bottom of their library. So it is a big Bant Aethergust. Pretty much. Big Bant Aethergust that also can do a regrow effect essentially. Yeah, because you can target yourself, so that's kind of interesting, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that this card is so versatile enough that, like, a couple things. One is, I feel like this is what out of the way should have been, so it kind of totally destroys our spoiler. Oh, this is, <laughs> in my this, mind. this is three colors, though. Ours was just one color. I know, but this is so much more versatile and only costs one more mana, and it just and it interacts with spells on the stack, and it interacts with permanents in play. I just feel like that is a lot more powerful of a card than something that's just kind of a run-of-the-mill bounce effect, even if it draws. I really kind of feel like, why wasn't this card like Broker's Charm? But I guess you can't write it that way. But I, I think that this just has a home back in four color control decks in modern, you know, Omnath decks that can cast it off of the Omnath mana. Like people were saying about the broker's charm a little bit originally, I think people are going to look at this card instead, but there is a certain version of those decks, the ones that play eternal witness and things like that a little bit more than the ones that play just like 
money pile, money pile, the ones that maybe have time warp plus eternal witness. I think those decks might want this card a little bit more because it brings back your quote unquote combo pieces in addition to being disruption that's kind of on plan and on color for the deck that you're already playing. And so I think this card is of a power level and utility that's close to modern, but specifically, I think it could be a fit for a deck like that in the sideboard or maybe in the main, depending on how they want to construct their spell suite. A little easier for that deck to cast maybe than like Archmage's Charm, for example. I also just think that this is a totally different role than Archmage's Charm because it allows you to recur specific cards from your from your yard if you want to. I think without the recursion, like unless you have a reason to be recurring, this is just, I mean, this is a three mana spell that doesn't generate legitimate card advantage, right? So unlike Archmage's, unlike even Esper, I think that you have to be doing something somewhat broken. Like I think the bounce effect where it's like put the spell or the non-land permanent on top of the top or bottom of the library is just too expensive for three mana even in modern even if the deck is making a lot of mana i think it's not really on rate but i do like the effect that where you can like i can target something in my own graveyard get it back on top of my library something like that and it just has other utility in a pinch otherwise what if you just mess up somebody else's draw too <laughs> you can be like is that oh, worth you stride you stride some well but it's all different different things you can do with a card that's this, yeah, it's this like a versatile, charm, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's like, oh, did you just scry something to the top? Okay, I'm just going to put this random bad card from the top of your library back on top of your library that you can't do anything with. Or I, I don't know, that's like the most corner case of corner cases. I do feel like, Stan, you've been holding your tongue on this one. This is a card that feels like it could end up in a deck that you might play. What do you, what do you think about it? In a deck that I might play? You might play a style of deck that you might play. Stan, four color control aficionado, Gulfjug. I mean, I agree that the card is interesting. And, and the fact that it has graveyard interaction is the thing that shouldn't be slept on. I'm sort of leaning towards Shane's position that I don't know if Aethergust for three mana is worth it necessarily. But. I mean, this in an Omnath deck is kind of cool because even if you don't have three mana up, but you have a fetch land, you know, you can potentially do it off of some Omnath triggers and then buy yourself some time. I don't think you have to expect card advantage for a three mana spell. Like, I don't think that's the the one litmus test to evaluate something like this by. But this does read like the type of card where because it's really only buying you a turn. Which, which could be good enough, but because it's only really buying your turn, like you have to have a threat on the board. You have to be doing something very st- proactive that buying you the extra turn is kind of the thing that gets you advantage in the absence of card advantage. Yeah. I mean, putting a card on top of a library is a lot more powerful than bounce. The problem is this allows them to put it on the bottom of their library too, which is kind of like, well, they get to make the choice of whether they want a random card or this one back. So it's less powerful than memory lapse in that sense. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, sometimes they draw a blank when they really wanted the, the, the spell that they were going to have instead. So I don't know. I think this card is cool. And I think we'll see some people trying it out in different, yeah, different decks. It does enough. Yeah. All right. Next card, Rocco Cabaretti Caterer. Rocco Cabaretti Caterer is... X colorless, 
red, green, white for a legendary creature, Elf Druid. And it says, when Rocco enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you may search your library for a creature card with mana value X or less, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. It is a 3-1. Can we also talk about how it's an uncommon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, we... It's a complicated uncommon. It must be it must be something that's important for you know, um the alliance mechanic yes. is the mechanic that goes it's with this. And so yeah, so this is a way to get you multiple alliance triggers in a single turn with a single card from uh, for limited, basically. So I, I can imagine that might be part of why it's an un, a part of an uncommon cycle here, because it lets you lean into their uh namesake mechanic. I think the thing that's interesting about this card is that it, it's a little bit like a like a, I mean, it's a quarter calling or like a green sun zenith walking around on a creature. I don't think that we've quite seen that effect, or at least I'm not remembering one, especially one that scales like this. And the really interesting thing about this, at least in modern, is that you can abuse it because of the X that's in it. And so if you want to cast it for three mana, you can go get a Dryad Arbor. You can go get an Ornithopter if you want an Ornithopter or a Memnite for something like that. But the real big one is that you can go and get, and again, this was pointed out in a Twitter post by Cave Dan from Faithless Looting, is that you can go get uh, Asmore, Decay Day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> bring that into play for th- with, for a three-mana Rocco, yeah. and then you also draw a copy of the Underworld Cookbook. And so you can play Rocco to basically go get two other cards out of your deck, which is just really good value. And I feel like... all. You know, enough to start kind of taking a look. It makes me wonder if there is, you know, food is a deck that has been kind of hovering on the edges of modern in certain configurations for a while. And I wonder if being able to push it over here using this card with such a value engine might be enough to make it have a little bit of a comeback. Maybe. You know, we were just talking about the sword and how it enables infinite mana combos. Here's another infinite mana payoff. Because that's, that's often one of the, the hard parts of playing Devoted Druid decks is like, you make infinite mana, what next? And then you have to like draw something that lets you go off. And having a little bit more redundancy in that slot, I think is interesting. Whether, yeah. I mean, you have to be able to filter your colors somewhat and, and be able to support a three-color deck. And I think that's then the new, the new point of tension. But yeah, I think you can do more broken things with this in commander where this is going to see the most play yeah probably i do just think that there's got to be something to play rocco go get asmore and cookbook have your whole deck kind of online then you can start making food you know you have your whole food engine there right then i mean food is in the asmore builds is not always great unless you're able to use her activated ability to kill a lot of creatures so it's kind of meta dependent in that sense because it's not like you can kill you know murktide with food tokens or something i guess you can if you have four of them but um it just feels like there's really something there and it also really feels like they're telling us to play this card with those cards because they're all like one is a caterer one is a chef and one is a cookbook and it's like is this a little on the did you mean us to do this one of the things that mildly irks me or at least it's definitely a safety valve on this card is the if you cast it clause so you can't go like tutor up a blinker and then blink it and then do something again and like sort of just fill the battlefield or do something pretty broken i mean yeah. multiple pieces of cardboard is, is is pretty good and just the you know the asmo and our little cookbook alone and there's probably more things that people will discover that are potentials with this card just to kind of build a board pretty quickly and do something interesting. So 
the fact that it scales is really good, and that's something that's always been valuable with cord and, and cards like that. So I think there's something here, but what it is, I don't really know. Yeah. All right, next card that we had that we think has a chance to do something in modern. I think this is a bit of a controversial one. Stan, would you like to read it? Happy to. It's Void Rend. It's white, blue, black for an instant. It cannot be countered. Destroy target non-land permanent. That's the card. That's the card. So Very simple. So you add blue and you get can't be countered to vindicate. Well, right. uh, easy, vindicate though. can blow up land. So exactly, oh, you're, you're no, switching land, land permanent land destruction for uncounterability, no, which un- unplayable and instant speed. Yeah, vindicate is not an instant. As as I've as I've been caught out once or twice attempting to play vindicate. Yeah, I think this card is pretty interesting because it's an instant speed. Now it forces you to play Esper and you have so many three drops in Esper now. So uh, we're talking about modern in in this section, like in Esper colors, you have Teferi, you have Kaya's Guile, you have Vindicate, you've got Archmage's Charm. You've got this. I'm sure there's more. Yeah. And now you got this. I think the problem is like, you're starting to clog up the middle of your curve a little bit on your path to Teferi or, or Jace or some other four or five mana payoff that I think is starting to get a little trickier and, and putting yourself into more color requirements may be a problem, but this doesn't have to be a four of either. Like this could just be a one or two of in a controlling meta, or you run it out of the sideboard to deal with opposing control decks like a Dovin's veto. And maybe it's a nice role player there because being instant speed, I think is probably enough to make this worth playing over Vindicate. Because I also think that Vindicate being three mana makes it not great land interaction. And you can just sort of ditch that for the uncounterability on here. Yeah. I mean, the main thing that I think about with this card in modern is just this is a card that will get rid of your opponent's Murktides without mm-hmm. you having to run a bunch of graveyard uh, hate to be able to kind of take the deck off of what it's trying to delve. Too, yeah. basically you know you don't you maybe there's a control deck that's incentivized to splash into black to run this so that they can kill a murktide they know they're going to kill a murktide and it's not going to come back and there's nothing the the murktide player can do about it that's really the main target that i thought about for this particular card but maybe there's some other ones too that work but yes i th- i think just on rate it makes a lot of sense i just don't know if we're going to have an asper deck that's going to make any sense in the meta ever essentially doesn't come up very often yeah again it just takes me back to kind of the issue with with rocco or endless detour and it's just like these are color combinations where you have to have your mana and you might want to have multiple pips of other colors and so it's just the the decks aren't necessarily there right now yeah i do want to say one big thing about these cards that were different that's different from where the meta was before and that's all of these decks now have access to access to triomes like a mm-hmm. blue white deck can now run the Esper, the Obscura Triome or whatever to yep. be able to go and get the one black mana that it needs. And that could make some of these shard colors as opposed to the wedge colors maybe come back a little bit stronger or be a little bit more splashable than they used to be as far as that kind of, well, now I need access to three colors. It's it, the, the barrier is a little bit lower now than it was before this set. Okay, last few modern cards. Urabrask, Heretic, Praetor. 
three colorless red red for a legendary creature, Frexian Praetor, Haste. It's a 4-4. Four, four. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. You may play it this turn. Uh, and then it, it also says, at the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, the next time they would draw a card this turn, instead they exile the top card of their library. They may play it this turn. So this card's been spoiled for a while. We've had a couple of opportunities to talk about it. I was just looking through the spoiler again and just thinking about you know, some of the stuff that goes on in modern and some of the kind of big decks that are popular in modern right now. And just thinking about like what this card does essentially is it says you get to draw a card, an extra card every turn and your opponent only gets to play cards that they draw um, the, f the first time each turn, they only get to play it during the turn. And so if you're playing against somebody that's trying to accrue a bunch of card advantage or trying to hold up counter spells or something like that, you can actually use this to disrupt, proactively disrupt their deck so that they cannot, like, you know, draw a counter spell and hold it and play it later, or draw a removal spell and play it later when it's more advantageous for them to do that. Draw a combo piece and hold on to it until it's time to play it. Like Urbrass kind of makes it so that whatever card they're getting, they have to play it now or they have to lose it. And I think that that's inter interesting, well, especially because... they have because the whole turn to play it. Let's be clear. Correct. They have the whole turn to play it, but a lot of times it's like, I want to hold... You know, you don't always want to play a card on a given turn, right? And so it, it is it is kind of taking away some of the opportunity that your opponent has. And so I thought a little bit like, maybe it's a, a thing that you could play as a, you know, out of a mid-range kind of red deck as a threat against, that's just good against control, but also the only reason it's good at all is because it's stapled to a 4 uh, a four power haste body that can attack pretty well. And so you can lay down a threat immediately, start disrupting them immediately, and then potentially gain some card advantage against your opponent just from having this card in play. Like, I think it's a pretty medium card, but I still think it's kind of interesting. It might have a possibility to be good. You know, I love to stay in a big red mythic that <laughs> generates yeah. low card advantage. Exactly. I, th I just don't know if five mana hasty creatures are the thing that's going to get you an out against control yeah sure yeah well, i just thought it was better than i thought it was when i first read it so i i actually i agree with you that this card is very cool i don't know i just i, I think if you're trying to be control like just play big chandra or any other planeswalker really yeah big chandra was the other thing i was thinking about that kind of it's a similar role but this is uh you know not as good as that or but maybe it's faster at yeah. killing than big chandra is i like this card but i would have just myself put it in a different format power level like i can i can see this being like an, an arena format i can see this being potentially even in, in pioneer and like a mid-rangey red sideboard or something like that where you you could play it against control you at least get a potentially immediate value out of it in that it's pretty hard i think for a lot of decks to kill at instant speed and then if it sticks around you get a, you start accruing card advantage I just don't want to play this on curve. Like I want to play this in a red green deck where I play a couple elves early so I can play this on like three or four. And then it feels like it's just going to take over a game unless someone can kill it as quickly as possible. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about another card. That's a, a corner case, but I think is unique. This card I think is uniquely suited to modern oh, and that is, is dope <laughs> shadow of mortality. <laughs> good track good track it costs 13 generic black black <laughs> for a creature avatar and don't, it says don't turn off the podcast yeah don't don't stop 
If your life total is less than your starting life total, this spell costs X less to cast where X is the difference and it is a 7-7. Seven, seven. So they fixed Death Shadow. Yeah. We're done. Okay, now you can turn off the podcast. Yeah, just turn off the podcast. Um, and I think that this card is interesting. So basically what it says is, if you have seven life, you can cast this for black, black, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And from there, you can scale up a little bit to uh, to wherever you want to drop it, but it's always a seven, seven. So yeah. it's power and toughness is not reliant on your life total. Which is cool. Uh, That's like, it's like another yeah. angle, like similar, but different, which is a nice, right. a nice thing to add to a deck. Yeah, exactly. And the, the other thing about this is that um, I think that it provides... So I think there's two ways that this card... I've seen people talking about this card. I think there's two different ways that people are thinking about playing it. One is people are literally... Like Michael Rapp and people who are in the Shadow Discord, which I joined recently. Hi, Shadow people. If you're out there, I've been <laughs> lurking a little bit. Um, they are talking about legitimately playing dark this... Dark greetings. A, yeah, dark greetings, fellow Shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Dark I greens. just imagine you're constantly listening to that Dr. Dog song. What's that? There Where did do- all the shadow people go? Oh, that's funny. Um, I've never heard of Dr. Dog. I don't know who that is. Dave. Well, I, think, I, think, I think you'd like be, them, actually, Dave. Yeah, really? seriously. Me introducing jam bands and indie rock to you. And ween. Media. Well, late era indie rock. I was pretty deep in indie rock until about 2013, let's say. But uh, anyway, thinking about playing it in Shadow in an aggressive life loss deck that um, basically using stuff like Street Wraith, again, using stuff like Apostle's Blessing and Dismember, and playing for Death Shadow, for Shadow of Mortality, for Scourge of the Skyclaves, then Ragavan, other cheap threats, but going for it really hard to like lower your, like basically a, a Shadow Zoo style list from back in the day, and then having a payoff for it almost no matter what, because there's 12 of them, and even going for things like Team or Battle Rage again. And the thing that's interesting about this is that it's, it's on plan, but it's not vulnerable to prismatic ending or marches of uh, otherworldly light, though it is still vulnerable to solitude. So you can kind of focus in on the threats that you have on the board and what their what type of removal they are uh, vulnerable against. What do you guys think about that idea? Does that sound interesting? Fun? You don't like shadow, but I mean, it's cool. It's a cool card. Cool card, Dave. I like the, here's, my, here's the main thing. Like I, I was kind of hitting on it earlier, which is like. It is all the power and toughness of this creature is always the same, so it's like a, a payoff for doing the thing, but it then gets you less vulnerable to certain types of hate against you, whether it's like make weirdly making you gain life, or uh, like being at a certain life total makes the card like so. What do we like? You can you can cast it if you have more mana, whereas you know that's not the case with Death Shadow. Like if you have a lot of life and and a lot of mana doesn't matter, so that's kind of a nice little advantage there. Same with Scourge, right? And can't be and prismatic ended. Yeah, that's important like that's, too. That's nice too. Yeah, so scalable removal, like you have to scale pretty darn big to get to get this one to get to fifteen. Yeah, and then the other thing that I think is interesting, and actually where I think this card might see some play, is in um, Calibrated Blast, which is a deck that sort of again is hovering. You know, there's a bunch of people on our Discord who really like to play Calibrated Blast. The thing that's good about this card, or at least I think interesting about this card, is that this is another card that you can play as a threat for real in that deck. I want to read Calibrated Blast because I think that's a card that frequently is is looked over. 
sort of a fringe combo deck in Modern right now. It's Tuna Red for an instant from Modern Horizons 2. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-land card. Put the revealed cards on the bottom of your library in a random order. When you reveal a non-land card this way, Calibrated Blast deals damage equal to that card's mana value to any target. And you can also flashback this for five, three and three red red. So the thing that people are talking about with, with Shadow of Mortality and Calibrated Blast is that if you reveal this off the blast, you're doming the opponent for 15 damage. And the other thing about it is that if you get in a spot later in the game where your blasts aren't going off and you're low in life total, this is a card that you can actually cast if Calibrated Blast doesn't work out for you, which is what this deck does with another card that's already in it, which is Scion of Draco, right? So Scion of Draco is a card that is a 4-4 with flying that gets two two less to cast for each basic land type among lands you control. So you do legitimately quite often try to draw down to where you can cast a Scion of Draco to do the last couple damage, or you have it there to block or something like that. And so, you know, looking at the cards that are in the Calibrated Blast deck right now, you can take out something like Blink Moth Infusion, which is a card that just costs 14 but untaps all artifacts. You're never going to play that card, and there's no reason to ever play that card. Uh, but replacing some number of those or some number of that, and, you know, Autocathon Worm, which is a f- another 15 mana card that you're never actually going to cast with something that there is an outside shot that you could cast in the deck. Yeah, exactly. I think makes some sense. Yeah, was, that's the card exactly I was going to compare this to. Is like you're not just putting like the Autocathon Worm in there as some kind of tricksy high mana value creature. This is like a legitimate potential threat. Right. So it's, it becomes a deck that it was very all in on plan A, having a slight plan B now where it, it really never did before. All right, this next one I like quite a bit. Patch up. Two and a white sorcery. Return up to three target creature cards with total mana value, three or less, from your graveyard to the battlefield. Um, it's in white. <laughs> uh, it. Why do you sound disappointed it, when you? It wants you, you to that. have low mana value creatures in the battlefield, and I can think of something that wants this card in the sideboard. I think, and that's probably Hammer Time because there's a perfect n- number of combos of cards that you could get with this for value and potential winning the game. You have you can get what like a Giver of Runes. Pure Steel Paladin Ornithopter. You can get uh, Stoneforge Mystic, Esper Sentinel, uh, Memnite. I don't know why you want a Memnite instead of an Ornithopter, but um, yeah. So you can you can piece together a, a few interesting combos that then allow you to do your do the thing. And of course, this is not Luris, but in some ways, it can be better than Luris, and they can give you multiple pieces at the same time for three mana. So you don't have to bring it to your hand and then cast it to the board and then get something out of your graveyard. All you have to do is draw this and cast this. Yeah, I mean, it bears mentioning that there is a card that is not too different from this that's already legal that's called Call of the Death Dweller from Ikoria. And that lets you get back two creatures um, with basically the same restriction. I don't think so. Let me take Uh, a quick uh, look at it. No, you're you're right. Forgive me. I'm I'm thinking about something else. Yeah. 
but it's only two creatures with combined mana cost of three of three or less. And so I think getting back three is just enough and also being on color, you know, what hammer doesn't always run black anymore Yeah, that I, it feels like, you know, that was the first thing that I thought of for this deck. Maybe there's other decks that it's, that it's possible this could fit into, but it's kind of like, it's a lot of value. If you think you're going to be playing a matchup where you're going to be facing a lot of removal for sure. Uh, one more card that we talked about last time that I would love to talk about quickly. Again, an offer you can't refuse. We spent a long time talking about this. This is the single mana, single blue negate that gives your opponent the person gives the controller the spell two treasure tokens. I just want to be on record because we only talked about this card in a fair way last time. That I really think that this card, you know, and I said, well, maybe a combo deck will use it offensively. I think that it's much more likely that this card is going to be used to abuse and generate mana off of free spells in some way than it is to be used in any kind of protection plan, any kind of counter. I almost feel like I'm starting to look at this card more like Tybalt's Trickery than anything else, where, you know, one example of what's going on with an offer you can't refuse right now is people in the Adnaws. Uh, you know, Discord, we've heard from from people in our Discord, are starting to brew around it as the card that you put into your hand to be able to cast a zero mana spell once you've picked up your whole deck to be able to then turn all the offer you can't refuse that are in your deck into a bunch of treasure tokens and then cast Lightning Storm to be able to kill all of the... It's very close to the old um, Simeon Spirit Guide kill, essentially. Oh, uh, the Nas heads are on it. That... that- this can't be good. That bodes poorly. Yeah. So just just saying, I really think that this card, and then I've seen people talking about running this card in Belcher instead of um, Pact of the Titan and Infernal Plunge, which is a way that sometimes they get their chain started as well. Um, and so, you know, heads up, everybody. <laughs> this is this is. I think that this is m- much more of a broken used for evil card than anybody's ever going to cast it as a legit counter spell. I just want it on tape somewhere. Yeah. I I, I think that's really smart, Dave. I'm glad you called it out so that we can point to this episode when someone else who's good at those decks nails it. I've got one last drop in for this modern section that kind of surprised me when I first read it. And that was unlicensed hearse too generic for an artifact vehicle that has tap Exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard. Unlicensed Hearse's power and toughness are each equal to the number of cards exiled with it. Crew two, and it's a star star. So the tap ability does not suffer from summoning sickness. And I think it's actually... What I like about it is that it's resilient to removal unless the opponent has actual artifact hate to deal with your graveyard hate. And then eventually, you know, you can generate enough graveyard hate advantage that this also becomes like a huge threat that closes out the game. And I, I think because it's not a creature at first, it's a little bit more resilient than Lion Sash. And I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Like it taps the Exile 2 off the bat, which is a little better than Relic. Yeah, it's like a big Relic. So, which, it, you know, costs two. Yeah, I. Here's what I think that I'm not sure I see this in modern only because I think that it's not efficient enough or fast enough at what it's doing because mm. like scoos, you can just pump a lot of green into it, right? Like this is sort of has that relic thing where it's like, yeah, I can tap it every turn and I can exile some cards 
from a graveyard, which is like cool incidental value. And then at some point you can potentially cycle it away for, for removing the entire graveyard and get yourself a card back, right? What I can see is something like this in one of those vehicles decks that were briefly being brewed up recently. Like this, this goes pretty well, I think, with the, uh, what's the most recent set? The Neon, yes, Neon Dynasty. Dynasty vehicles and whatnot. Like this would be cool as something where, yeah, it sticks around for a while, it grows, and all of a sudden you animate it with your the the animation land. Mac Hang- the Mac Hanger. So, I, I mean, I think this is better than Scoos potentially because you can actually tap out for this on two and then threaten activation immediately at instant speed. I think there's a chance in that context that this card could be better than Scoos in modern in certain cases. Like, I understand what you're saying when you when you say that, Stan. You're like, get my graveyard disruption online as fast as possible. I think that the problem with the flip side of that is that Scoos' life gain is generally yeah, like a huge, a, a huge thing with that card. Is because, it though? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. Maybe not in modern anymore. Yeah, but certainly in in pioneer in any any cards that are going to scoose, it's in pioneer, right? Yeah, but it's it's not even really seeing play there because it was kind of the yeah. best green two drop, and and now the green decks are just like we don't need two drops. Right, right. But at any rate, I I think that I th- I looked at this card for a little bit too, and I think that the resiliency is nice. Um, I don't know. It's like a fifty fifty for me. I like it. I don't know. I, I actually think like say say we see this in Pioneer. I like this better than Scoos against Phoenix as well. Because so frequently you're trying to just like deal with the two Phoenixes that they manage to drop off of, you know, there is a charm. Is or, a charm. Yeah. yeah. The, so. For me, the thing is like this doesn't win the game by itself, and Scoos can. And Lion Sash can win the game by itself and doesn't see a lot of play, if any. And so this to me is like something that needs other things to actually close a game out. And sure, like you said, Santa, it's like you can you can get rid of someone's graveyard and you can grow this thing. And then as soon as you drop a, a two-drop creature, then you can crew it up and start attacking. But I think that that, to me, I'd rather have something that's sort of a self-contained tool like a Scooze is. And you know, we see the, the drop-off of Scooze indicate that it's not even super powerful right now but i think that yeah there's something to this like just being a big relic is something right it's definitely something i wish you could just pop it like i wish you could just like sacrifice it to exile someone's graveyard because frequently that's so much what you want to do with a card like tormod's crypt or relic or something like that all right we don't have a huge amount of time left why don't we get into pioneer the lists for the other formats are a lot shorter but why don't we get into pioneer uh the first card i thought we could talk about in pioneer and maybe this is just historic Really, although I think this card is pretty powerful, and that is Giada Font of Hope. And mm-hmm. that is a single generic and a white for a legendary creature angel. It's got flying and vigilance. It's a 2 2. And it says each other angel you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it for each angel you already <laughs> control. <laughs> As if the <sighs> angel deck didn't have enough triggers to slow down your arena and throw right. them crashing. And then you can tap it to add white, but you can only spend this mana to cast an angel spell. Oh, no, not my angel deck. So, look, 
I don't know for sure if Angels is close to being a good deck in Pioneer. It I know it's close. It's got close to the cards that it has in Historic, and Historic is you know that deck is always around Historic, and this is just an absurd two drop in that deck. Am I right? Yeah, I think you're right. It's I, I don't know if you mentioned it's also a two two a flying vigilant two two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, looks a lot like the Barefoot Contessa in the card art. Mm, no, I don't think it does. I need to I figure think out who the, wrong the Barefoot person. Contessa is. It's not this. Why don't you just Google Barefoot Contessa? <laughs> why, why we're I'm recording? Busy. I'm, no, no, I'm recording the show. I, I can't do anything. Okay, good point. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just like a shoo-in. It's almost like, what What else is there to say except it's going to make all of your, your angels better? You get to this point eventually where you're just making 4-4 four, four <laughs> angels all the time because of one of those what is it like angel of hope or something that just like makes tokens whenever you've gained enough life that I think this, this just helps you snowball even faster. Yeah. Like if there weren't enough must kill threats in angels, like why not, why not just add one more that also flies and has vigilance for two mana. Right. Good Lord. That makes your next angel. If you play a three drop, it gets a plus one, plus one counter when it comes into play, right? The next turn. But if you then play a four drop, it gets two plus one, plus one counters. And suddenly you have like a five, five for four mana or something crazy like that. Um, which yeah, is more than that. Unreal. Yeah. This is, it's going to, yeah. it's going to be a huge snowball effect. It's, it's like I said, you just, if you're not, if you don't have enough removal or a way to combo around it, you're going to, in bad shape oh and it ramps so on turn <laughs> sorry that's the thing that i meant to mention if you play this on two then you have four mana available on turn three you can play an even bigger threat anyway this card is absurd i is this deck close to being a thing in pioneer do we think or or is it just not even the right type of meta so, okay so there used to be an angels deck in pioneer because it has like some of the best angels from m19 Kaldheim, and you know some of those other standard sets the historic version has changed a bit because of additions such as Esper Sentinel, Soul Warden, which right. I don't think is in Pioneer. And also no. Inquisitor Captain is a really important card in the historic version, which does pair really nicely with this. Like the Inquisitor Captain lets you actually fetch this up. But the two of those two decks have diverged because of the way historic has been curated. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just a historic thing. I know Soul Warden's really important to that to that deck, but anyway. All right, next card for Pioneer. There's only a few, like I said. Tenacious Underdog was the next one that we had kind of pulled in. And that is a single generic and a black for a creature human warrior. It's a 3-2 that says you can cast it for Blitz. It also has Blitz, two generic, black, black, pay two life. And in case you've forgotten, Blitz says... If you cast it for its blitz cost, it gains haste, and when when this creature dies, draw a card. You sacrifice at the beginning of the next end step. The last line of text on Tenacious Underdog is, you may cast Tenacious Underdog from your graveyard using its blitz ability. I know we keep trying to make mono black aggro a thing (laughs) in Pioneer to match the beginning days of Pioneer. Sad it's not there anymore. Yeah, but this card is like... A little expensive. I mean, it's expensive for its blitz ability, but you can also just play it on curve. Most of the the dumb cards that were in mono black aggro were just one mana two ones that you were attacking in with anyway. And so when it dies, you have a mana sink that draws you cards. Like that seems like a reasonable way to restart the game if you peter out at some point in time. To me, but don't they have better recursive options such as scrap heap scrounger for one? There's that. I, I want to say it's like a shade from the new Zendikar set that 
basically you can catch There's me a graveyard one. anytime you yeah, the landfall one. Yeah. Yeah, but this one draws you a card. This one does draw you a card. So it gets you a card in play, you get to attack with it, and you get to draw a card off the top of your deck again. Well, let's agree that it draws you a card. Yeah. It only draws you a card if you blitz with it. Correct. So it has to get to the graveyard the first time. Yep. So you just probably play really it easy to do. I mean, you, here, you know, here's the other problem with this card. It has two toughness, and it dies to Flame Blessed Bolt, which is yeah. seeing play in mm-hmm. Phoenix, and the other is a Dex. And, Gets and, exiled. And I think in, like, Mono Red even, so. Yeah, I'm not sure this is what we need to get Mono Black back into the, the good decks of Pioneer column, but I think it's another interesting consideration. I feel like there's always something where it's like, this is a... For black, it's a good rate and it does something interesting, but it's like it doesn't necessarily move the needle too much. Yeah, maybe not enough. It's the thought that counts, Dave. Keep keep up the good work. All right, last card identified for Pioneer is Titan of Industry. Four generic green, green, green for a seven seven. <laughs> it has reach trample and it says destroy tar- it says when Titan of Industry enters the battlefield, choose two. Destroy target, artifact or enchantment. Target player gains five life. Create a four four green rhino warrior creature token or put a shield counter on a creature you control. It just seems like an, a, another card you could have an absurd ramp target for if you wanted to in mono green. Now the problem is that I didn't realize before we took a deep look at mono green at the beginning of this episode that uh, you want things that are festival targets. That's a good in, point. In your deck, mm-hmm. and this is not a festival target. So I'm not sure if this really gets there, but wow, what a lot of text. I mean, it's a good ramp target. There were there were old ramp decks in Pioneer uh, before Mono Green, or actually kind of alongside Mono Green that would get to things like Ugin, and they might they would also involve Green. So yeah, why not? Titan of Industry, it does a lot of stuff, and uh, it's probably a sideboard card for life gain, stabilizing the board, and all that kind of stuff. So it's there's a lot of options and you can choose two of them so why not dave speaking of shield tokens though i do want to revisit um a card that was on our list but i think you you sped past it for interest of time boon of safety which is a single single white instant put a shield counter on target creature uh if you forget shield counter is basically if it if you get dealt damage or destroyed you remove the shield counter from it instead you also scry one i think shield counters are kind of sneaky like kind of sneaky, cool, and potentially use that people haven't really thought about. Like I think it's kind of easy, like Stan said uh, the other week, is like, oh, it's just regenerate, right? But I think that it does slightly different things than regenerate, where you can survive certain types of combat and not be tapped. Uh, And there's just kind of cool things you can do. Uh, It can be used when you have extra mana and, and like a protection spell, for instance, where it's like, I just want to cast this for value. I have some extra mana sitting around. I know that I'm going to use all my mana next turn and the turn after that. So I just want to scry and maybe uh, see what's happening with the top of my deck. And that's valuable. Yep. I mean, I, you know, I put this on the list also because I think that feather slash heroic is still around in pioneer a little bit. It wasn't, it didn't show up any of the challenges that you have, but I've seen people who have been longtime feather players kind of posting about five O's and things like that. I think that with feather, this is a, 
decent card for that and probably better than something like God's Willing because like you you said Shane if they're tapped out if your opponent's tapped out for some reason you decide oh I have Feather out and I have Boon of Safety I'm just going to cast Boon of Safety it's going to go back to my hand I'm going to get my Scry and I can use it proactively I don't have to wait for them to try to cast their removal spell for my shield counter to be good I can just you know build up yeah. protection over time on multiple creatures and so yeah it could be a thing okay we got a little bit of time anything in Historic? I did not identify any cards specifically for Historic, personally. The, I, I think Giada is the main one, and we had talked about it a little bit in Pioneer, but... I have a nominee for against the odds tier possible new deck pieces. Okay. <laughs> God. The least enthusiastic I've ever seen you two. So there's two cards here that, that stuck out to me. One is Avon Heartstabber. The other one is Tainted Indulgence. They're both two-mana spells. They cost blue and a black. The Heartstabber is a two-mana bird assassin, 1-1 one, one flying. As long as there are five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard, Heartstabber gets plus two, plus two, and death touch. And when it dies, mill two, draw a card. Then the second card, Tainted Indulgence, is blue-black for an instant, draw two cards, then discard, unless there are five or more mana values, values among cards in your graveyard. Here's... So here- Go back. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know where we should begin. Like, the power of these cards is totally contingent on how easy and useful it is to make that condition work. It is not easy. Yeah, it's extremely hard, I think. But therein lies the question, doesn't it? Yeah. Doesn't it? I also think that these payoffs are not very good for the work that it takes. Like, but basically, Avon Heartstabber is a Delver. I cannot believe yeah, it right? doesn't have Flash. I cannot believe it doesn't have Flash. Believe it. Yeah. You know, I think that this card is basically like, that's the use case for it is like a Delver style deck. It's a, it's a, it's a cheap three, three flyer at best, right. With death touch. Mm -hmm. And so you have to do a lot more work to make this good than you do to have to make Delver good right now. You do get to draw a card when this card dies potentially, but I just, I think it's so hard to get five different mana values. Like if I was drafting, when I'm drafting this set, when the two times that I tried drafting this set, you are not going to find me on the, and I haven't listened to limited resources or anything. Maybe there's some good enablers for it, but like, you're not going to find me on the five or more mana values among cards in your graveyard <laughs> payoff deck. Like it's just, I, I don't know how you're going to get there so, in a way that's expeditious. Like I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is like, this is like a soul herder thing where it's like I'm just going to I need to fill my graveyard with with stuff right and then but the payoff with soul herder is you get a soul herder the the payoff here is like I I just I just wish this were, these were better like it's like if even if I get this Avon Heartstabber down it's a three mana death three man it's a three power three toughness flying death touch draw a card on death which is like good sure but it's not like oh man i did it type thing which is like a bummer but like i do like tainted indulgence quite a bit because yeah sure draw two cards perfect so here's what i'll say i don't think these are the payoffs i think these are just pieces in a dredge style pioneer deck because and the reason i say pioneer is because you have access to stitcher supplier you have narcomoeba you have prized amalgam you got creeping chill. Like I, th- I think you have ways to fill up the graveyard. Yes, you do. Grizzly salvage. What's the and what's the green creaturey one? Uh, Willowgeist. Sure. Seder. 
Wayfinder. Wayfinder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I just feel like, uh, at first I was thinking about like, how do you get mana values zero through four or, or one through five? But like, if you have an X spell in there, I think that counts towards it. Like, if you put a Gurmog Angler, that's another one that is like an unusual mana value that you can just toss in the deck and potentially get into the graveyard. And also the, the, the instant of these two cards helps fill up your yard too. Because it's a discard ability, sure. That you that you can use for something like you know one of your uh, dredge payoffs, like Prize Amalgam. I like the ambition here, Stan. You always have the most the most ambition out of all of us. So that's right. Dare to dream. Can we have like a few minutes left? Just can I get a few cards you are most excited about trying to play or slotting into a deck that you already know you're going to play the card in. You know, I was actually trying to think about this, and I couldn't come up with one, but I'll try to do it on the fly, because you're asking me to. <laughs> David, do you have anything? <laughs> I got to look at the spoilers from last week real quick, because I'm pretty sure that I'm more interested in the cards that we talked about last week than the cards we talked about this week. I mean, Shane, yeah. do you have one? I think I like the sacrifice fodder stuff quite a bit. I think there's something there in Pioneer. Uh, I think Rob the Archives is potentially pretty cool. That's one in a red sorcery, the casualty one, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play those cards this turn. I think Strangle is going to actually be a pretty big game changer in Pioneer for the reasons we talked about, where it no longer puts uh, one mana creature removal in red uh, at the, the two ma- at the two toughness. Three toughness being safe, I think that's a surprisingly big challenge. I like Unlucky Witness. That's the sacrifice kind of fodder that we talked about. And then there was, a, I think, a spell that went with that as well in Rakdos colors that I'm forgetting. But that's kind of what I'm most interested in. I think for me it is Triumphs. Sure, yeah, Triumphs. I'm going to take the safe, yeah, take the safe, safe answer. And then I would also say, I think it's probably Riveteer's Charm. Yeah, Riveteer's Charm is good. It's the card that I would be the most interested in trying to play. And then I'm definitely, of course, going to be keeping an eye on Luxior. Luxior is Luxior will do something. You know, I loved neon dynasty so much. And I was super hot on that set that this set like couldn't necessarily live up (laughs) to that. Bring you back down, back down to earth. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just kind of feel like I'm disproportionately cold on this one. Where is like, if, if the previous set, wasn't one of my favorites, then I think I might be a little bit more positive here. I agree with Strangle. Like, I think that's a card that I, I sort of know I'm going to want to try in several different places. Yeah. What's challenging about this set is it's standard power level. It's multicolor, mm-hmm. which kind of puts some of the, puts a little bit of fencing around what you're doing where it's like, if this was two colors and some mana, then maybe, but like three colors always sort of says, well, is there a deck here that wants this that can be a home for this? Yeah, and and to piggyback off that chain, I think this is like a set that's sort of pushed for Commander because it has so many legends and because it's in so many various color combinations that I think that sort of lends itself to a format that can like support really wacky overpriced cards that do a billion different things because they cost three or four mana or or have three or four different colors in their in their mana value. So I think that might be one of the reasons why like, it's not speaking to me as much, just because it's not turning those commander gears the way it is for a lot of other people I see on Twitter and elsewhere. 
Yeah, so I think we'll, of course, keep our eye on how these cards are being played, slotting into new decks. I'm sure it's something that we'll talk about in our monthly report in just a few weeks. So, you know, if there's anything that you're really hyped about, tell us in the comments on uh, our Twitter post, on our Reddit post, things like that. And I'm sure we'll be talking about how decks are changing and new decks that are possibilities on the Discord. So, again, you can join that patreon.com slash the dive down. I think that does it for this week's episode. Thank you all for joining us on another spoiler session. Excited to try these new cards with Shane and prove to him that you can get five or more mana values in your graveyard. And sometimes it can be good. And it might even be worth it. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a rating and review. You can reach out to us via Twitter over at The Dive Down, all one word. You can also email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash thedivedown is the best way to do that. But you can also support us with a Mana Trader subscription, Play Magic, and we get a kickback if you use promo code thedivedown2022, all one word, to get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. You can also support us with some of your grooming and fragrance needs over at Barrister and Man. Use that same promo code, the Dive Down 2022, all one word. Get 15% off your first order at Barrister and Man. You're going to like the way you smell. We guarantee it. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. Until next week, get out there and play new cards.